Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. Being in business is not an individual sport, it's really a team effort. Today on episode 539 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with Ray Silverstein from the President's Resource Organization. Growth happens when you get out of your comfort zone. In this episode, Ray shares how the right group of colleagues can help you address your discomfort as you face new risks. I'm going to ask Ray about the characteristics of a good entrepreneurial peer advisory board and much more. You can find out more about Ray along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Right now, digital marketing is more important than ever to keep your business going. Your clients need to know you are here to help them deal with their challenges. Our friends at SiteHub have many resources to help your audience stay aware of how you can help them. Contact SiteHub today at yoursitehub.com. That's yoursitehub.com. Now, let's welcome Ray Silverstein. Ray is a small business expert and author with more than three decades of experience and a somewhat unusual approach. He gets most of his ideas not from books and theories, but from in-the-trenches entrepreneurs who pool their collective wisdom in peer advisory board meetings. Ray has facilitated more than 1,500 such meetings since 1993 when he founded PRO, President's Resource Organization. This is a peer advisory board network based in Chicago and Phoenix. And in addition, they also offer online advisory boards. In these monthly forums, small business owners meet to share challenges and solutions, create accountability and offer support. Ray is the author of two books, The Best Secrets of Great Small Businesses, published by Sourcebooks in 2006, and the newly released The Small Business Survival Guide, How to Survive and Thrive During Tough Times. Ray, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate being here. Thank you, David. Great to have you on. So what better time than to be speaking with somebody who just published a book, How to Survive and Thrive During Tough Times, because we are certainly in the midst of a a tough time, a major disruption, a major health crisis worldwide, an economic disruption or crisis, however you want to, you know, whatever term you want to use worldwide. And, um, you know, lots of people are trying to figure out what's going on and especially what's to come. It makes it really tough to plan. And I'd, I'd love just to hear your take on the situation we're in to start with. Well, we never had a situation like this before. So there are no rules or regulations as to the procedural aspects. The question is, we will go back to our normal but it will be a new normal. And the question of what will that new normal be? I think what has happened with the uh, kind of virus is that it's exacerbated trends which were out there before. So we are going to find more people working from home. We're going to find office spaces shrinking. These are just guesstimates on my part. I think the distribution channels of of retail is going to change where uh, people now are in the habit of purchasing with Amazon online or others, and therefore retail outlets, especially small business, will get hurt very badly. These are also guesses. So service business, which are really the majority of the economy today, uh, is, is really are going to come into play. And I think the aspect is what I ask my members, I ask my members in these meetings is, 
what impact do you think the virus will have on your business going forward? What will happen with your customers? Think about your major customers, especially if you have concentration, and how will they be impacted? So, for example, if you're a contractor primarily doing commercial work, will construction industry be a strong two, three, four years out because the office areas will shrink, the shopping centers will shrink? What is the impact? So the aspect of this whole thing is I think that you have to be more original. You have to think about what had worked before will not necessarily work in the future. The guidelines used to be if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think the guidelines today are if it ain't broke, break it because you have to think differently. Ray, why did you start peer advisory boards in the first place? Oh, okay. Primarily because I used to participate in these. Uh, My background very quickly is I used to own two manufacturing companies. Uh, One manufacturer, mechanics, tools. We made screwdrivers, tools, electrical connectors, and so forth. The other company made automotive parts for OEM and aftermarket. And I was in an organization called YPO, Young Presidents Organization. All that means was I was a president before my 40th birthday. And at the age of 50, they gave me a rocking chair and kicked me out. Uh, But the aspect was, is that in participating with others and getting their insight, they were helped me grow the business and helped our team grow the business because being in business is not an individual sport. It's really a team effort. And therefore, we grew from about uh, 25 or 30 million up to about 65 million when I sold the companies. I had one of the gentlemen in my groups after I sold one of our companies said, now, be very careful. Don't go out and spend a lot of money. Think about what you're doing. So one of the benefits of a peer board is that people really will tell you unbiased thoughts. That's the object is to have people really tell you what you need to hear, even if you don't like hearing it. And let's connect the dots between what you're hearing now and what you said at the beginning about this um, disruption and the fact that it's time to break things. Well, right now, I think there's a lot of anxiety. People really don't know what to do in many cases. The aspect right now is depending on small business and especially uh, solopreneurs. The question is a survival circumstance. So when you talk about the aspect of survival and thriving, the first comment is you have to survive or you have to restructure the business. So what I hear from basically business owners, they're primarily talking about how they think they're going to be in maybe two months or three months if the virus abates. I think they have to look at where they're going to be a year from now. Because the aspect in running a business, or even in your personal life, you have to say, where do I want to be a year from now, or maybe three years from now? What do I have to do today to get there? So it becomes kind of a procedural aspect of execution and setting priorities. And given the fact that most businesses are service businesses, particularly in the U.S., what are you hearing your members say about where there may be some hidden opportunities? Well, they really haven't gotten there yet, to be quite frank with you. But the aspect is people are now talking about speed of communication. Uh, They're talking about possibly they're they're experimenting or they have been. They've been forced to experiment by having people work from home. They're thinking about, do I really need to have the overhead cost of an office as large as it's been? In my recruitment activity, I can now recruit people who might like to work from home part of the time. So they're looking at how they might be changing their initial mode of operation, especially I think it works in a service business more than a manufacturing environment. 
I would imagine it's pretty hard to manufacture things if people are working from home. Yeah, it's true. But uh, one one member talks about uh, the number of quotes they got out. And he says, well, because people were working from home, we got out about 50% more quotes than we normally do in a given week. And that's because these people were not interrupted in doing their work. The benefit of working from home is you may not have interruptions, but if you have kids at home, like they do now because the schools are out, you're actually your, your efficiency and proficiency go down. So it becomes a question of where people are in their life and what really makes them happy. Uh, the other thing is that people are missing the water cooler discussion. So that's also where a peer board comes in, where you, especially online, where you can now have a water cooler conversation with people. So you do get insight and other additional thoughts. When you're working at home, you're, you're basically a solo thinker. And you need you need breadth of thoughts rather than just your own. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about peer groups. Um, since you have run so many peer group sessions and you've been doing this for so long, what have you learned works really well in the peer group format? Well, the peer the format that we generally use is that uh, I will read a business book every week and write a crib notes on it, and then we discuss the thoughts of the book. And the object is to make people think differently. What really works in a peer group is when there is a, an openness of thought where people will give, give an unbiased feedback and really put issues on the table. If you don't put issues on the table, it becomes basically a social conversation. So I had a gentleman one time years ago that uh, his name was Ralph, and he was talking about his marketing person. And the marketing person was really administrative type of assistant, and he wasn't working to that person's satisfaction. And after talking about this for three or four months, one, one of the members said, Ralph, don't bother coming back next month unless you resolve that issue. And the member primarily, the aspect was is that the member didn't want to hear that, but that's what he did. And he, he resolved the issue and he came back next month. He said, this is the best thing I did. So peer groups create accountability. When you run a business or you're in business by yourself, you really don't have any accountability to anyone else. And what moves people forward is making commitments and fulfilling the commitment. What kinds of things don't work well in peer groups? Uh, having a person who thinks they know it all. Mm-hmm. They know it all will kill a group. A person who basically uh, is really uh, very judgmental will kill a group. I think when people work, I, normally when, I shouldn't say normally, when people come into one of my groups, it's mandatory that they attend the meeting before they can really join and participate. And it's a two-way street. I want the I want the group to feel whether that individual brings a benefit to the group and that there's a camaraderie that can form. And also, I want the person to judge the group as to whether it's a good group for that individual. Uh, if you have the wrong person in the group, they'll destroy the group. And uh, that's not beneficial for the people in the group. What are some of the characteristics that you find get people to fit well together? That's interesting. I generally don't put people together. I mix backgrounds and trades and services. And the reason I do that is I want people to think and get different exposure and different and different thought processes. Uh, what works 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 together is when people are willing to accept others and they accept the idiosyncrasies of others. So you generally will get that within a meeting or two as to how they behave. So it's really a question of behavior and and how how much they tolerate. So if a person doesn't like that, what happens is they they just leave the group. They can't 
Zeno Wake member being brought in. Right. I know that in, in certain kinds of group situations, there are things that the the guiding body or the the leaders look for in trying to put groups together. Like if you're trying to create a word of mouth marketing group, you may not want to put people together that are direct competitors with one another. Or I know that in some peer groups, they try to keep the groups, the group membership such that the members are running similar size businesses or they have some other kinds of commonalities. What's your experience been with sort of the do's and don'ts of who should fit within a group besides the behavioral characteristics? Okay, the number one, of the items that you mentioned, uh, you don't want people who are in direct competition with one another. I have one group where I have three recruiters, but they all recruit in different areas. So they find that complementary. But the do's and don'ts primarily is that if a person is too small, the question is, what has been their background? If their background has been running bigger companies, if their background is thinking in a strategic manner, uh, they will fit. If the person is, if so the aspect of bringing small companies together and bigger companies together normally is difficult. The groups I run are primarily companies, I would say, the have between 20 to 30 employees in most cases. But, but I do have members that go down to four or five and also go up to 200 employees. So it becomes the aspect that they go to the group because they want to get ideas and you want people who are forthcoming with their thoughts and willing to share and bring out good parts and bad parts. Do you find that, that at some point people will naturally outgrow a group? Well, it's interesting. People join for one set of reasons and stay in for another. Uh, they join a group because they want to grow their business. Uh, they want to do things better. They stay in for the longevity. My average member has been in for over 10 years. The, they stay in for the longevity because there is a camaraderie that forms within the group. It's like wearing an old pair of shoes, which is very comfortable. Yes, there are some people who outgrow the group. In that case, I try to find a group which is more sophisticated for them. So when I, when I talk to people, I judge as to what their level of sophistication might be. And I try to put them where I think the sophistication will blend. In the person-to-person groups, in Chicago, it's or also in Phoenix. It also is a problem because geographically, distance and travel can be a major impetus uh, or problem as to what, where they participate. But the online, it really becomes a question of trying to match the personalities with people. So, Ray, you've recently, as I mentioned earlier, recently written the Small Business Survival Guide, How to Survive and Thrive During Tough Times. What, what are some of the most important characteristics you need to have to be able to not just survive, but to thrive during tough times? Well, I think the aspect is to thrive, you have to be, becomes a question of how much risk you're willing to take and what is your financial background. So in order to thrive, you have to be willing to go out of your comfort zone and do things. So one of the aspects that many people do when, when things get tough is they cut back on marketing. And what you find is that when you cut back on marketing, it hurts your sales down the road. The companies that historically market more during tough times generally grow faster when the market straightens out. But that takes a certain amount of risk, and you have to be willing to take that risk. And that risk then goes back to how much are you willing to gamble. And so when you're talking about thriving, it becomes a question of 
How much belief do you have in your concept and ideas? Are you willing to test the concept and ideas and make adjustments as you move forward? The thriving part, I think, is harder because the markets generally are shrinking. So you have to look for a more defined differentiation where you can go. Today, they're talking about that this is going to be an experienced economy where people will be, it's harder to create the relationships. So therefore, people are going to buy on the experience that they have. So it becomes a good time for companies to basically enhance the experience that they give customers so that they're remembered and wanted. So those are just some of the some just general thoughts. Mm-hmm. Ray, what else would you like to share? What else I'd like to share? Well, I think I got into the pure advisory board business because I find it fun and I also find it's very satisfying because I give a lot of value or a lot of people get value from the groups. There's a satisfaction of seeing people succeed. There's the aspect that people like learning from each other, and there's a camaraderie that forms. The people who participate in our groups are not only members, but they're friends, and they're also people that will call me up and say, I have an issue. What do you what would you suggest we might do on this? Or do you have a resource that you could possibly suggest? So I find that being helpful to others is very is very satisfying. So what I think people ought to do is that whether you form, whether you're interested in, in my type of groups, that's great. But if you're not even that, you should participate in some type of group, someplace, somehow. Great. And Ray, what's your aspiration for the groups that you run? What would you like? What you're doing to become? Well, I, well, I, uh, I like to see my people be successful, mm-hmm. primarily. Uh, People, some people participate because they want survival. In other words, they want to go along. And my goal is to say, uh, I want to achieve what you want to achieve. So the aspiration for me is, yes, I like to have people stay in the groups, participate. This is the type of business or activity where basically you're not always hunting. We're really making, we're really keeping a relationship. And every month that we meet, we enhance the relationship. Uh, the other aspect is that people have to put up with my humor. So I haven't told you any of my Coney jokes yet, but uh, that's part of it. So you're saving this for the end. Well, I don't have any today, so I'm, I'm a punster. So I don't know. I don't punt. Punster comes from from the word punishment, or whether it comes from the word whatever it comes from. Well, if someone wants to hear one of your puns, or they want to go deeper with anything that we've discussed today, or just learn more about you or from you or access any of the resources you have, where's the best place for them to go? Best place would be to go to my website or call me. Uh, my phone number is 312-593-5133. Or you can email Ray, that's R-A-Y, at Peer Advisory Board. That's P-E-E-R Advisory Board. Uh, not P-I-E-R, because uh, with, with pro, you don't sink or swim. You just, you're always able to swim. Sounds great. Well, Ray, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau. And before we go, is there a gift that you'd like to offer our audience? Sure. Uh, I'll be happy to give anybody a digital copy of the Small Business Survival Guide, How to Survive and Thrive. And if they would just drop me an email or send me a note, I'd be happy to just email them back a digital copy. They, My only comment is I suggest they do not read it at night. Because the ideas are so exciting, you'll be up all night. Sounds great. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. And my guest today has been the president of PRO, the president's resource organization, Ray Silverstein. Thank you again, Ray, for joining us. Thank you, David. 
When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today we learned about the characteristics of a good entrepreneurial peer advisory board and much more. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.